Welcome into School of Science Radio for another uh, edition of our podcast. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Chris, Adam, and Brian. Guys, first off, let me see how you guys are doing today. It's uh, been a rough day. Uh, we're recording on Sunday, so obviously the game this morning. How you guys been? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Uh, I ate an entire Domino's pizza to try to make myself feel better, and uh, now I just feel worse. I make cupcakes, and I ate all of them. Ah, okay, so I'm glad that Brian and I are on the same wavelength. Eat something that will kill you faster so you don't have to put up with another match. That's smart. That's thinking. Yeah, it seems it seems you guys – I also stress eat, so I had some, some you know, some Kit Kat bars and, and whatnot. So uh, we're all on the same page here, I think. Uh, and, and getting to the game here, oh God, it, that's, you know, that <laughs> feeling right there is kind of how it was, uh, for us, you know, throughout the game and, uh, you know, at the end of the game, of course. And, you know, let's start on this point first, because I think it's a good point to bring up and Adam, we'll start with you. What was the failure today? Was it a failure in the coaching and the game plan or was it a failure in the player execution? On the field. Oof, it is uh, one million billion percent uh, on execution. Uh, I thought that when I when I saw the lineup that Marco Silva was putting out, primarily when I saw uh, Tom Davis and uh, Idrissa Gay in the midfield, I thought, oh, oh boy, I don't know what we're doing here. But, you know, once once they stepped out, it was very clear. It was a high press for, uh, you know, with the intent of, putting pressure on the Arsenal back line and on Petr Cech, who all have been forced to play out of the back to an almost ludicrous degree, uh, despite the fact that they are not equipped with the personnel to handle that. Uh, and, you know, and we saw it worked early on, uh, along with trying to just play quick uh, from the back for us, just playing long balls to the speed over the top to, to Dom and the, the speedy wingers, and we created chances, but I'll be damned. We just didn't put any of them away. And then you make one almost mistake, even. It's tough to really fault anybody on Lacazette's goal. It's just a great shot, and then the whole thing falls apart. But that's what you get. You get punished when you don't finish your chances. I th- I think that the the point of it being mostly on the players today, Kyle, you, you can use the illustration of, what, 90 seconds in, 120 seconds in, when Calvert-Lewin just falls on his face instead of, Sliding the ball across the face of the goal to, I think it was Richarlison or mm-hmm. sh- shooting a few steps earlier himself. You kind of, st- it kind of starts to get that sinking feeling of, is it going to be one of those days? And sure enough, it was one of those days. Yeah. I, but it's also one of those, I, and we've harped on it before and I know I've mentioned it in our Slack channel, but just the whole, the talent gap and we delude ourselves into thinking, a lot of years top four. Oh yeah, we might, you know, if we come out strong and everything, but we have the talent outside of, you know, a Walcott, a Pickford, you know, now Digne and Richarlison that, that is that top four type of talent where if you have a bad game, yeah, it can make something out of nothing. And that's kind of what Lacazette's goal was. You know, it was a bad clearance that didn't get all the way out and he just made space and made a beautiful shot. And we can't really do that. You know, when you had Lukaku, he could kind of, you just get the ball up to Lukaku, maybe he makes a run. But we don't have that right now. And without that, you're going to miss out on points. 
Yeah, and well, that's that's a really clear separation point between Everton and the rest of the top six because Lacazette just fixed Arsenal's problem all in that one fell swoop, and it's it kind of makes you cringe a little bit looking at the difference between what he did and what um, Chick Tassoon has done this season. You don't really get those moments out of him. Well, and I think uh, I think that that characterization of the talent at Everton might be a little unfair to Richarlison, who, I mean, if we're being honest, you know, we've we've kind of painted the uh, the opening match against uh, Watford in our heads, I think, to be something maybe a little bit better than it was. I mean, that really was a game that Richarlison stole for Everton. Uh, obviously, uh, almost Wolves. stole the point. But, yeah, against Wolves. Now, <laughs> that's obviously a, you know, a, a different sort of team to be stealing a, a point or, or points from. But ultimately, yes, I think you're right that outside of Richarlison, you know, you don't have a guy on this team who's going to just make that one outstanding play to uh, – to save you points, but but at the end of the day, you would expect that somebody like Walcott or Gilfie puts away one of the chances that we had, you know, in the opening 60 minutes of this game, but here we are. I mean, Lucas Didier at, at one point, uh, I, think, I believe it was in the first half, maybe early in the second, smacked the, um, the underside of the bar maybe or check just barely saved his free mm-hmm. kick. Like, you almost had that moment of quality – come through and that completely changes the complexion of the game if it goes in and just not quite enough yeah and that's actually one point uh you know check check kind of stole that game for them and maybe steal is a strong word but that was a better check that you we haven't seen in a while Mm -hmm. and that made a difference i mean even calvert lewin's goal he came out quick or Flub, I should say, you know, um, yeah, Digne, uh, who else? Walcott yeah. just came out and nicked Walcott on a similar play to Calvert-Lewin's later in the game, coming yeah. down that same right wing. Yeah, somebody also, somebody yeah. also had a shot that uh, uh, he pushed over the bar as well that was, I think, outside the 18-yard box. But I think that was uh, for Charles. Yeah, might, it might have been. Likely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a big difference because he has not been get, he's not been winning them points. Well, R- Richarlison has been not in the lineup at all no. the last three matches. No, I think you mean... No, no, check. Oh, I mean, check. check. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I uh, have the last couple of weeks been critical of him and critical of Unai Emery because he's got Leno on the bench and hasn't used him, uh, and I stand by I think Leno's still the better option at this point but you know check out there you know showed that he's still got something left in the tank even if it's an old and fading something yeah and and you know as as much as he did put those shots away though or, or push those shots away I should say uh you know it still got to that point and I think we're all in agreement on this that we still needed to finish the chances because we had plenty enough to put some goals away and put some pressure on Arsenal because, you know, once you put one in the back of the net, that's a whole different game. Yeah, and um, I think that, but the, moving, way that the, the way that the Arsenal environment was at the Emirates today, you know, if we had gotten an early one, 
crowd would have turned on him real quick because really even in the 10 minutes before Lacazette scored in the 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes of the second half, we were all over him and you could tell the environment in there, the atmosphere was getting real tense and real negative. And I don't know if Arsenal would have had the bounce back ability if, if Everton found a goal at any point that was the opener. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's the question we'll hope will be answered, uh, you know, very, very soon. Uh, if we can put one of those in the back of the net and, you know, take a lead. So that hasn't happened in, in, in a decent amount of time. But, uh, moving, uh, you know, to a little bit of comparing here and comparing this week to last week, what do you guys think? And, and Brian, we'll start with you. What do you guys think was the main difference in the West Ham loss and this one? I mean, this was definitely getting out talented. I mean, Arsenal just has more talent. Kind of, and I, I like the strategy we talked last week and in the film previews we've seen. This was how you beat Arsenal. It just, hey, didn't quite work. You know, you get one of those early goals, this is a different game. West Ham was a lack of execution and just poor play, even though the tactics were, for the most part, the same. Um, well, you know, I think the uh, the biggest difference between last week's team and this this week's team is that uh, Tom Davis replaced Morgan Schneiderlin uh, in the midfield. And, you know, Brian really did well to point out last week uh, when we were talking about the tactics from the West Ham game that Schneiderlin – just doesn't have he doesn't have the the pace to to really kind of help implement that high press and, and chase balls down and Tom still can't pass for shit uh, he absolutely cannot kick a ball in a straight line but I'll be damned guy can run around a lot he wins you tackles he wins you the ball and he gets pressure on opposing players a lot quicker than you would get from Schneiderlin and that helped us be able to keep the game in, in front of us for, for long stretches in the opening 60 minutes. And I think that maybe in terms of personnel and in terms of tactics, even though the, the plan was the same, I think that swap and then also Calvert-Lewin up top for Tosin, again, for the same reasons, uh, played a big part in this week going better than last week, at least in the opening hour. Yeah. No, that's yeah, true. I, and I – and I, it's funny because Davies, I don't know how you guys felt, but watching him today, you know, when he tries to control the ball and go forward with the ball, it looks like he's almost tripping over himself. And then somehow he finds a space and finds some way to pass it. And, you know, you guys are right. You know, he did, he played well today and, in, in, you know, running around and helping out that press and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it goes back to the same thing, same questions we have about finishing. Moving on to the defending though. What do you guys think? How do we think about uh, the defending with Keane back? Has Zuma done enough uh, to keep his spot when Mina finally uh, finds a place in this team after being out on a, on a long injury layoff? Chris, what do you think about the defending? I do not have a lot of complaints about the back four today. I thought that by and large it was it was pretty good. I really like the pairing of uh, Keane and Zuma. Um, you know, there was the second goal that Aubameyang scored, even though it was extremely offside, and we can get mad about that later. That that was a bit of a defensive breakdown. But other than that, I thought they they played more than well enough for Everton to win the game at Arsenal, which is really all I can ask for, especially considering you wouldn't say that it's entirely first choice with uh, without Coleman and without Mina. 
Um, in terms of Zuma, I I like the guy a lot. I think he's an excellent option. Um, he, he's definitely better than Mason Holgate. I'm still kind of intrigued to see what Mina Keen looks like because in my head, I think I have that as our first choice pairing. But um, I, could, I could be convinced otherwise if you guys have any conflicting arguments. I, I think yeah. the thing with Zuma, and it's it's really been since he stepped into the lineup, uh, is that I haven't really noticed him when he plays, uh, which, you know, when you're a center back, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that we had the idea, and correctly so, when he came in, that he's, you know, he's this big hulking presence and he's he moves real well for his size. Uh, but the fact that you haven't seen him having to work his way back into plays and, you know, make last second, last ditch plays, relying on his size and his speed also probably points to the fact that positionally he's been really solid as well because, yeah. you know, th- think about how many times you've, you've seen Zuma as the guy who's sprinting back from out of position, you know, to stop a play. It, it's been almost never. We've seen Holgate do it a lot. We saw Keane uh, made a play in the first half where he made that, you know, outstanding dash 40 yards back to, to nick out an Arsenal attack but you don't see Zuma forced into those plays. So maybe he has done enough that when Mina comes back, the, the first option is Mina Zuma or uh, as opposed to Mina Keen. But I also think we're probably still a week or two away from Mina really getting integrated. So those two guys are going to be able to kind of duke it out for that spot. I would wager that the Mina's first true involvement of any significance is in that cup game. Against uh, Southampton, and that's yeah. October... Second. Second. So it's a week and a half from now. Okay. Yeah, I think that probably makes sense. Yeah. Now, let me throw this. I will be curious to see if we go to three in the back. When Mina's fully fit, you know, gets a couple games under him. Because then at that point, you've got four center backs healthy. And especially if Coleman is... Have they said how long Coleman's out? I know it's a stress fracture. But... Uh, another week or two, I think, is the word. Oh, yeah, I think when okay. it originally came out, it was it was two weeks, I think they said. Yeah. yeah. Which was better than I think most expected. Yeah. You're also yeah. going to have uh, Jackie Elka back in two or three weeks, so that's a lot of I don't suspect he gets really a sniff, but. Yeah. Right, but then, you know, you look at it, you've got your three. You know, you can kind of mix and match. And then you you have whether it's Kenny or Coleman on the right, Digne on the left. I I like that a lot more than a back four for us. I I like I like that group of five as a back five. If you have imagine uh, Digne on the left, uh, maybe probably Mina left center, Keen in the middle, Zuma right center, and Coleman at right back. I just think that it ultimately skews uh, the rest of the, the lineup going forward. Because if you're going to do five at the back, then we either got to do two in the midfield and three up top. And then on the regular, you're forced to leave out one of Ghana, two of Ghana, Schneiderlin, Sigurdsson, and, and Davis. And if you do three in the midfield and two up top, now you've taken one of Walcott or Richarlison out of the lineup on a regular basis. And I'm just well, not sure that the improvement along the back 
uh, warrants we, having to do we that. We have kind enough of trouble moving the ball from d- defense to attack that I, removing a midfielder is not something I really want to see. But that's the thing is I I think the way to do it is you bypass the midfield as much as possible. Uh, you know that that was part of why it worked because I was really worried about no Schneiderlin in this. But if you're gonna bypass the midfield, because well, then you I, and I would put Walcott. I would I would make Walcott your second forward, if you will, and then it's so you, either DCL or Chenk, depending on the situation. Yeah, but then where does Richarlison go? Because you can't. Yeah, and maybe but he's it, the other one, but. Yeah, and I mean, you could use Richarlison at, at striker. I think that the the issue is whether you go that uh, three in the midfield. Well, mostly if if we're talking about a two in the midfield, so that we can keep a true striker, Walcott and um, and Richarlison in. You know, bypassing the midfield and, and looking to play long and press high works against Arsenal because they're slow as third at the back and they're trying to play out of the back through you. Most teams are not necessarily going to be doing that you know any team basically that's below Everton in the table sorry I shouldn't say that that's below Everton in the table of your mind as it were um isn't going to come out come at Everton in that way um and you're not going to be able to you know play long over the top against Newcastle or Leicester or whomever uh, and you, then you're going to have to rely on that midfield. Do I think that back five is an option in matches like this one? Definitely. I just don't think it can be a week to week thing. Now, yeah. we, 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 you know, we've talked about this, uh, formation that actually kind of leads directly into my next point in terms of how Richarlison has played and, and, you know, maybe mixing him in there in that, in that striker role. How did you guys feel like moving from defense to offense? How did you guys feel like we didn't attack with Richarlison back? And did DCL for Chank, did that make sense? Was that the right move there? Um, and, and really, did DCL show enough to win a spot for next week? Uh, well, I think uh, putting yeah. Calvert-Lewin uh, up top was the right move for if you wanted to play that high press and if you wanted to try to play balls over the top just because he's uh, faster than Chank. But ultimately, he kind of did exactly what Schenk has done so far, which is uh, do well with everything except putting the baldy in the back of the net. Yeah, and then, you know, uh, it's, again, we're just going to keep, I feel like we're just going to keep getting back to this point about how finishing has become, uh, you know, such a problem for us. But, Brian, do you have anything on that, anything on the attack specifically I mean, on how we it, played today that we haven't talked about? No, it's just that, you know, DCL was right for what we wanted to do. I would put Chank back in as the starter against Fulham because of how they're likely to play. And, and I think their defense is so bad. If you want to try and get Chink off the mark for the season, it's probably a good, pretty good spot to do it. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but I think a consensus from us all is that Chank still probably be in the lineup against Fulham. Um, but, you know, finally to kind of, Finish things off here. We did see Chank come in at the end of the game uh, as one of the two substitutions used by um, by Silva. But was it a bad sign? And Chris, we'll go to you on this. Was it a bad sign that Marco just completely pushed aside a third sub 
instead of using, say, a Lookman when we needed goals there in the final few minutes of this? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a real bad sign for Lookman. I don't know that uh, he's doing himself any favors in training if he can't get into a game where he's the only attacker left on the bench and we have a sub left. I mean, you can you can feasibly make the argument that you're not taking off for Charleston at that point because because you need those goals and Walcott and Calvert Lewin had already gone off. But when it's the 85th minute, you have nothing to lose by removing a midfielder and putting him in for Lookman, and the fact that he just sat there kind of it allows me to read into Marco's thinking and kind of what must be going on behind the scenes. Yeah, and and Marco has not hesitated to drop Gilfie deeper into the midfield to bring another attacker on at any point this season, at least at any point when we've been 11 v 11. Uh, so I, you know, I certainly don't think that there's any hesitation from his part on his part where he looks and says, you know, there's no place for me to add him. Uh, I think in, in another world where he trusts Lookman, he puts him in for Tom and drops Gilfie deeper in the midfield, you know. You could also have taken one of the center backs out and moved Denier over and just added another presence out wide and moved Richarlison up front. So. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I think w- the real telling is going to be a game like Fulham or something where we're actually up because yet I can I can completely rationalize and not putting Lookman in for any extended action because he's played what like ten fifteen minutes this year yeah, or not I'll, even I'll that? look that up for you. Yeah, but it like. I can see why against Arsenal, yeah, he might have that dynamic ability, but is this really where we want to kind of get him more time and basically depend on him to get anything out of this game? No, what the real concern is if we're up, you know, on Fulham with 10-15 left and there's a situation where, you know, maybe Walcott's out of gas or whatever and Lookman's not getting in at that point, that's the real sign of, no, you're done here. You are done. You are not being redeemed, and your ass is going to ride the bench for as long as possible. And, to your point, the- Adam Ola-Lookman has uh, 46 minutes played this season in the Premier League uh, and didn't play in our League Cup match either. So, yeah, 46 minutes. So yeah. you're definitely on to something there. Yeah, so that'll be, you know, granted we also need to actually get up at a, to a point where that would be a thing, you know. But even against a Fulham, let's say we're down and we need a spark, you know, if he's not going in there, that would be another bad sign. So I'm not, I'm not ready to be too worried just yet. It's pretty obvious there's an attitude issue that's being worked through. But how it'll end up, we'll see. It'll certainly be interesting with him you know it's been a a saga that's clearly carried over into the season which is unfortunate for him and unfortunate for Everton because there was a lot of promise for him going into the season and if you know maybe that attitude problem didn't surface as much it could have meant some better things for him and for the team Uh, but still some time and still some time for him to hopefully figure out that attitude issue and you know find some playing time Uh, but moving on just on Marco Silva now, you know, it's just now or win on him. Have we seen enough football yet to make a judgment on him? Um, and, and really, if so, what's your guys' evaluation of him as a manager? Brian, we'll start with you. I like his flexibility. 
You know, we've seen a few different things depending on teams. He's not, he doesn't have to play one way, which was a bit of a concern that he'd be a little too much like Martinez. And nope, we're playing like this. We're high pressing, da 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 da. And Bob's your uncle. Um, I'm still a little concerned about the defense. You know, it, it's hard to say because we brought in new guys, guys got hurt, guys are older. You know, we'll see how that works out. But my guess is Silva's going to be successful or a failure based on his ability to find better talent in the transfer market. I'm not too worried about the coaching side right now, except for free set pieces. Get rid of zonal marking. Just stop. Well, you do have to say that they've not conceded on a set piece in two straight matches now, which I know is, you know, small sample size and all that. But I think you have to admit that there's been progress (laughs) on that front, at least for now. Well, let's just let's just dive into that point real quick uh, before we go into anything else and really get Chris's answer on this. So we before this had only we've given up majority of set piece uh, goals um, before these last two games. What has changed defensively in these in these two games that has allowed for more open play goals? If anything, maybe it's just who we're playing and and the tactics that they're using. But what has changed that has seen more open play goals as opposed to you know them getting these goals from set pieces? If anything, well. Against against West Ham, you know, as as we talked about last week, you know, we we tried to press high with not the right personnel to to be doing that, and you know, we got burned. And credit to Silva because he saw, okay, that you know, there's there's something in this game plan for us. It's something that we're we're close to being able to to use the right way, and we've got another opponent coming up that that we can use it on. Let me tweak these couple of personnel things. Uh, and make it work better. Uh, and he did that, and credit to him. The Lacazette goal today, I mean, there's, I know Tom had a chance to clear it. I think it came out from a defender too, but it was a real bang bang. I'm not going to sit here and, uh, get too critical of those guys when you look at the finish that Lacazette had and let, well, sometimes a guy's going to do that to you if, uh, if he's got the talent. And then the second one was just being shell shocked from the first one. Uh, and well, I, I'm not, not sure that there's a whole lot Marco can do about his guys being shell shocked 90 seconds still after they've conceded a goal. Um, so I, I'm still not, it's weird to say about a team that's given up what, two, three, five, uh, nine, nine goals in, uh, in <laughs> five, uh, league games to say, Mm, I'm not actually that worried about the defense, but as Brian alluded to, there's been so much in and out and there's been some fluky stuff in there. I'm not too worried about Silva's ability to get the defense righted sooner rather than later. Just to put a point on that, we have given up 11 goals in six games in the league. Oh yeah, I should have counted the, uh, I should have counted those goals from the Arsenal game today, you know, the match that we're talking <laughs> about. You were close. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> Just as a reference, so I went back and looked at the same games from last year and subbed in one of the relegated teams for Wolves, you know, whoever finished 17th. And we are, per game, we should be, 
like our expected goals allowed is 1.8 goals. And last year for these same matches, it was 0.8 goals. So it's, and, and that's a big issue because we haven't played, you know, Arsenal was the first good team we've played. Uh, so that's a little concerning just from a season standpoint, but theoretically it's also something we should be able to fix. But I also think that today against Arsenal, who, as you've said, is definitely the best attacking team that, that they've played so far, might have been at least the best 60 minutes defensively that they've played this season. So, uh, yeah, and, and it was only, progress. you know, it should have been a 1-1 draw based on expected goals. Yeah. So it's not it's not like one of those, oh, we should have gotten crushed today. So yeah, hopefully this continues to get better. You just worry about those dropped points. Yeah, yeah, especially against these teams. You know, I mean, obviously today we were on the road against Arsenal, but again, going back to the two games, Huddersfield, West Ham at home, teams that you know I think we should be able to beat. Uh, not lose dropping those points is not exactly what you want. But Chris, uh, anything on Silva so far? Do you think we've seen enough from him to evaluate to evaluate him? I I think I've seen enough to to be able to safely say that he's a a good tactical manager and that I think he has he has the right ideas to succeed in this era of the Premier League. So I'm not really worried about him ever well I shouldn't say ever but I think he's the type of manager who's rarely going to get out coached from from the chalkboard if you will. I don't know particularly his man management style we see with uh, Lookman, especially in the attitude problem, and then the the players that he told to go train by themselves, and you know th- that was probably fine. But I I think that part of his style is still very much in question. And we'll, as as the season goes on and we have more ebbs and flows, I think we'll be able to tell better how he handles success and how he handles skids like the current one we're we're on a little bit, and so. I, I would say if I had to give him a grade so far, I'd probably it'd be like a B minus. All right. Well, yeah. I, I just to kind of piggyback off that and and go uh, into um, our our next point. Just you know, it, it seems like it, personally, I, I felt especially today the high pressing style that that you know he was, and at times even against Westbrook, I felt like it it went. Well, and, and it, it looked good. Um, but you know, I mean, again, it's, it's all going to come back to the same point of finishing off your chances. And, and that's really not anything Silva, I think, can, can do. That's again, going back to player execution. But before we uh, move on to Fulham, one, you know, last thing here to wrap up Arsenal and this match today, you know, in episode one, we mentioned how we thought Arsenal, Arsenal were, you know, reachable in, in terms of getting to them in the league table and surpassing them, um, and, and finishing in sixth. After this, you know, slide of games where we haven't picked up as many points as we would have expected, how have we changed our view on this team's ceiling? And, uh, Adam, let's start with you. Well, I, I think in part you have to say that that inclination that we had at the start of the season that Arsenal was catchable uh, is probably kind of vindicated in a way based on what we saw on the field today. Uh, That said, I don't think 
that we accounted for. Obviously, we didn't account for the injuries and the suspensions that we were going to have to deal with in the start of the season, and that you know there was no way to know. And obviously, that's that's played a role in what we've seen so far. But even just kind of the general growing pains of getting this group of guys working together in the right way. And I do, as uh, as Brian said earlier, there is always a, a Homer bias, uh, if you will, danger in thinking that the players that we've got <laughs> are better than they really are. Um, I still think that this team's ceiling, true ceiling, even with the way that, that things have gone so far with the points that we've dropped, could be sixth place. I don't think there's any world in which that actually happens. I think that the pieces are there both internally and with the struggles that we're seeing from Arsenal and from Tottenham and what have you. Could they get to sixth? You know, those things are there. I just don't think that we're going to have everything in place and running at, at the efficiency we'd like to see in time for that to be a realistic goal. So I think probably back in that 7th to 10th range is more likely what we're going to be looking at. Brian? The big thing, I think, is how is everybody else going to do? Because you've got, yeah, Watford is on an amazing hot streak right now. You've got Manchester United who, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Lord knows what's going to happen. Arsenal's still beatable. And, And the thing is, even as bad as it's been, we're six points behind Arsenal. That's two wins. You know, granted, we're pissing away points from a lot of teams we need them from, but there's still time. It just matters, you know, we've got to actually play, and other teams are going to have to do stupid things, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. But I think it's hard for me to see us finishing higher than seventh, barring some game changer. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you look at it, you know, it is six points, but we do play Arsenal one more time. So you can even look at it as if we get a win there, that's gaining three points to them. So really just one Arsenal, typical Arsenal game, I guess you could you, you could say, um, against another team that, uh, you know, could close that gap. Um, but, you know, certainly it feels as right now that, it hasn't gone as we would have liked it to and hasn't gone as we probably would have expected it to with the games that we've had. Um, but it still does feel like if we can put those parts together, uh, you know, we have something there. And really the question remains, as Adam said, whether we do that in time. Um, but Chris, uh, anything on this? Uh, do you think that, you know, we are have a different view on this team ceiling now after – uh, the recent games are kind of the same. I I do a little bit. I think they're probably a little bit worse than I expected them to be because I, I had them pretty much nailed on as the seventh best team in the league and at least certainly the seventh most talented after the summer. And the the reason that I'm lowering the expectations for their ceiling is that the first choice midfield, so we'll say Gay, Sigurdsson, and um, Schneiderlin, has not... I don't know if my, – my inclination is that they have not gelled into what Marco Silva is asking them to do as well as they thought – as I thought they were going to. And, you know, you can complain about the set-piece defense and the individual defensive mistakes like from 
from Holgate and those guys. But I think the real the real problem this season so far has been the inability to transition play uh, into the attack and create real consistent chances. And most of that falls on the midfield. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, I'd say that's a pretty good analysis and something that uh, we all can probably agree on in, in some state, but Arsenal is now behind us. We have let out all of our emotions on that moving on to Fulham. Now uh, it's our second match against the promoted side already this year. First one being against Wolves, in which we tied at the Molinau. Uh, you know, the, the Cottagers play a very expansive style, uh, which, you know, can result in a, you know, back and forth match. Um, what do you guys think about Fulham so far this season and how they performed, uh, you know, and their talent uh, after bringing in so many players in the transfer window? And Adam, let's start with you. Well, I think when you talk Fulham and all the players that they brought in, and you know, and they brought in some some really quality players. Uh, I have a weird man crush on Andre Sherla. I'm going to get it out in the open now. Um, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm just glad you said that before I was able to to get it. Yeah, I got out in front of it because I knew <laughs> yeah. it sounded worse if somebody else said it. <laughs> uh, but they brought in Sherla, they brought in Mitrovic, who's, who's done well. Uh, Sari in the midfield, you know, has, has done well. Uh, but the defense, oh God, the defense. Uh, they've conceded 13 goals in, in six games. Uh, obviously the thrashing at the hands of, uh, Manchester City inflates that a little bit, but they've also conceded twice to Palace twice to Burnley and twice to Brighton, uh, which is, you know, not great. Uh, and you look at the the names on the back line and you don't necessarily think that that's actually out of place. You know, those numbers kind of seem to match with some of the questionable personnel they've got back there. Uh, so I think that the story for Fulham, both next week against Everton and the rest of the season is how do they keep the ball out of the back of their net at least between now and January before they can get in any new reinforcements. And the, the answer for me is I don't think that they can. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, a twofold problem, right? They play a style that is not conducive to being a good defensive team and their defensive personnel is bad. So you really can't fix the second problem, at least not this season because you've already spent all this money on these players and that's not something that the ownership is going to want to fix immediately in January. So it seems to me like they probably want to stop playing like bats out of hell at places like the Etihad where they're, they're, they literally just are sitting there playing Manchester city and saying, please just murder us in cold blood. And they did. So if, if you keep that mindset going forward, it's not going to be just Manchester city that does that to you. Uh, Leicester City is going to take it to you. Um, Tottenham's going to take it to you. Hopefully, Everton can do the same thing. It's it could be a long year if they if their manager is insistent on keeping with this philosophy. Now, you know, I'm just looking at our you know what notes we've put together before the uh, the podcast today, and I I want to make sure I'm reading this right, and you know, so you fans can understand kind of what we're seeing in this Fulham defense. Now, it says, you know, Fulham are 19th on shots allowed per game at a whopping 17.2 shots per game, which not very good. 
to go along with their 14.54 expected goals allowed, which is good for dead last. I think that kind of describes what we're looking at here. Am I wrong, guys? And they've only conceded 13. They're outperforming their ex, their expected goals against. And and just to clarify, that's, they've, they've allowed 14 expected goals over the season. And to give you a little context on that shots per game number, Everton, whose defense we would all say has had its issues this season, only gives up 11 shots a game. Woof. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Woof is right. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think we've gone over, I think, I think we broke down Fulham in terms of, you know, what they are defensively. Chris, we'll go to, uh, we'll go to you on, on this and moving a little bit more towards the offensive side, I guess you could say. Um, although Ryan Sessignon had played defense in the left back position, um, what do you guys, what do you specifically think of him so far this season? Uh, you know, he's fifth on the team in minutes, but so far hasn't really done much. Yeah, I think, um, I think he has just one assist and no goals so far. And I, I'm a little bit disappointed because, you know, I watched a few of their games last season. Um, and he was just absolutely electrifying and kind of the next great English hope in attack. Like he was getting, because of the way that he came up at his left as a left back and then moved up to left wing, he was getting a lot of Gareth Bale comparisons, and that just you know it it may it may turn out to be true. I hope for England that it turns out to be true, but I think that all of a sudden here after he plays a full year in the championship at left wing and scores all these goals, and then moving him to play left back against Manchester City, it's kind of a mixed messages. Like what do you what do you want him to be? What are you asking him to do? Why have you made his job harder when he goes up a level in competition? It's all just kind of weird, and I hope that it doesn't kind of stunt his development. And, you know, it, it ultimately comes back to to what we've just discussed about about their defense. You know, they, they brought in all of these uh, attacking players, uh, and when you've got Andre Scherla, uh, Luciano Vieto, um, Alexander Mitrovic, you know, th- those are going to be the – three guys really that you want starting for you up top and you can't fit a fourth one in there uh, unless you're going to go 4-2-4 which they should not go 4-2-4 no one should ever go 4-2-4 um so so you're kind of stuck with taking you know your your best talent from last season putting him in a spot where he can't contribute to the attack as much as you'd like and you're taking a bad defense and maybe making it worse. Spot spot the problem. You're playing your 18-year-old or 19-year-old left winger as a, your left back at Manchester City. I think I, I think we can pinpoint some of the defensive issues. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, and that ultimately, but again, it ultimately comes down to the personnel decisions that they made over the offseason up to this point that, you know, they, they don't necessarily have anyone who is exceedingly a better option at left back uh, and and that's the the problem that they put themselves in. And now you mean, you mean to tell me you're not buying Joe Bryan? <laughs> yes, Joe Bryan. Because what Fulham needed to do was sign a player from the Championship, the league that they were in last year, to play left back for them this year in the Premier League. Perfect solution. Yeah, it's a great idea. What can go wrong? <laughs> I mean, hey, they could always take Mason Holgate. 
Mason Holgate the left back. You're going to give me a friggin' aneurysm, Brian. Come on. <laughs> I mean, we just... <laughs> it can't be worse than his right back appearances. I, you know, I don't think you can say that. I think you. I think he could be worse. <laughs> I would rather bring Cuco Martina back to play left back than see Mason Holgate at left back. How's that? Oh, my God. It's not even close. Not even close. <laughs> That's a pretty damning statement there, I'd say, on uh, Mason Holgate's left-back I'd, abilities. I'd rather, I'd rather put Brendan Galloway back in at left-back than see Mason Holgate play left-back. Okay, Nishi, that that's where <laughs> I draw the line. Okay, I was, I was trying, to, <laughs> trying to push it and see how far we could go. I'd rather that's... put Leighton Baines in at left-back. Oh. oh, come now. Wow. He's old and slow. Doesn't mean he's bad. Come on. That's low, Brian. That's low. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> that was uh wow brian uh while we're on defense do you want to you know talk about uh fulham's defense a little bit what you're seeing from them uh you know I can, you clearly i cannot talk about that which i have not seen and because fulham certainly does not have a defense i was gonna say there's not much to see <laughs> yeah. I, we will and we will find a way to make the game as everton as possible yeah, despite I, that defense what I will say is Relax. I have repeatedly knocking on wood over here as Everton fans take shot at, shots at somebody else's defense. Yeah, well, I I already, like... uh, I've, I've already gotten slammed for making fun of Petr Cech, uh, and then he stood on his head today. I made fun of West Ham as a whole. We lost 3-1 to one to them. So, I mean, at this point, what you. have we got left to lose? Yeah, I'm not going to stop making fun of West Ham. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> no. Fair enough. Yeah, we haven't exactly... We haven't exactly done well in terms of uh, laying things out there with our quote-unquote expert opinion and them playing out as we would have expected them to in the uh, the games following. I, uh, I do get me to retire from podcasting after four short episodes is if some for some reason Mason Holgate plays left back and does well, then I'm out. <laughs> yeah, okay, no, that's fair. Just yeah. one more thing on, on Fulham's defense. Um it looks uh, – the, the one guy that they've had uh, back on defense in the past who has not yet played this year is uh, is Tim Ream, who any American listeners will know very well, for better or worse. Um, he's been injured oh. since the start of the season. Um, it, i just looking looking him up right now, and apparently he's uh, he's getting close. I don't know if that necessarily means that he'll be available next week or not. But I would suspect that he's going to get a chance as well once he's healthy, because you really don't have anything to lose after conceding 13 and six. Another thing that will get me to quit doing this is talking about my beloved United States men's national team. Oh God, let's not let's let's pretend that I mentioned Tim Ream is American. Yeah, hey. well, that's the thing with Tim Ream here uh, that you, where you guys are not exactly as fond of of Holgate or some other players when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. I can't say Tim Ream is one of my favorite players. You know, you, you slipped in there that we weren't, like, as fond of some other players. It's No, it's just Holgate. You know, yeah. I, I, figured, I figured I'd soften the blow a little bit, but I guess I'm willing right. to take the heat on that, too. I do not like Mason Holgate. Don't at me. Let's move on. And, and Davies. Don't forget Davies. Follow Adam Brown on Twitter. <laughs> All right, guys. Quick predictions before we uh, we head off. Adam, start with you. Quick, what do you think uh, happens in this game this weekend? Uh, I just 
think that Fulham's defense is really bad. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't, I just don't know if, if I see them being able to stop Richarlison and Theo out wide, even if Everton strikers continue to do all of the good things except score. Uh, I think that the way that they are approaching things at left back, i.e. Ryan Sessegnon and uh, Tim, Timothy uh, Fosu Mensa, I, I think we find joy in the wide areas. Uh, I also think we give up a dumb one because that's apparently our MO. Uh, I'll say uh, Everton 2-1. to one. Brian? Yeah, that's that's my score as well. Um, but I will say that inevitably we will concede first, just to make it interesting. Um, you know, because why can we do it easy? <laughs> Chris, what do you got? Uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I'll say 3-1 just because I'm, I played Fulham in FIFA 19 last night and, uh, Richarlison against Tim Fosu Mensa is, there's a lot of pain. It's not good. And I think the, the other thing with Fulham that we haven't said is that Fulham, like many other teams across England, uh, do have a League Cup game this week. Everton's is next week because of scheduling issues, but they're at Millwall on Tuesday. Uh, whether or not that's something that they actually decide to have a go at and it impacts their roster or their lineup, uh, when, when they play Everton next week. Who knows? But just something to have in the back of your mind as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to be optimistic about things the way the past few weeks have gone, but I think I'm in agreement with you guys. I think we take the victory here and, uh, maybe it's a jump start to, uh, better things and better finishing. Uh, in the future but that's all we got for uh this week's podcast guys thanks for joining as always it's been a been a great chat talking about getting our emotions out on arsenal and and looking forward to a hopeful hopefully uh better future for for everton for you guys out there keep listening keep following us on twitter at sos uh radio we'll be back next week talk to you guys later